to teach and whine about it. We're two high school teachers who've been best friends since the seventh grade. We're excited to share out-of-the-box strategies that you can put into use today in your classroom and your daily life. On top of that, we'll share some lighthearted conversation about stuff that matters to supercharge your teaching this week. Along the way, we'll discuss our wine choice for the day because why teach? Unless you can whine about it. Now let's start the show. In our skills segment for today, we want to talk a little bit about building relationships in distance learning. Yeah, this is something that's really important in all teaching, but I think it's going to be exceptionally hard this year because we have no idea if the first day of school we'll be able to meet the lovely students who will be in our classroom. Right, and especially if we're meeting them for the first time. You know, there was a research study that came out uh, about three years ago in the International (laughs) Journal of Science Education that found that if you're teaching a class online, there are three big key factors that predict how successful students are going to be, how authentic your assignments are, how comfortable the students are with the technology, and the biggest factor they found in their research was how much students felt like they were able to do the work and do it for you. That makes a ton of sense because I know that building relationships with students in the classroom can give them a lot of confidence. It can teach them a lot of Mm self-efficacy. And I mean, why would you want to put in like your own time on something that you don't even know about for some person that you don't even know. Right, yeah, sitting in their seat. I mean, you know, if we're going to be teaching fully remotely in the fall, just imagining, you know, you don't know these new teachers maybe, and now Mm -hmm. you're going to be spending your whole waking day in front of a computer screen for someone that you might not really know. Yeah, I mean, I feel like my MO is like, first get them to love me, and then through that love, they complete the work. (laughs) Yeah, and especially because, I mean, you teach AP Lang. That's not exactly a lightweight class. No, it is not. So you really, really got to have them ready to be on board for you. Yes. I think another important thing to think about, too, is that our students who have learning disabilities and any Mm -hmm. other kind of learning challenge, they're going to be doubly impacted by e-learning. Yeah, and I think... You know, if we can approach the fall and approach this new mode of learning, understanding that, you know, other research studies have shown that students that make the switch have demonstrated less of an ability to talk to other students, talk to their teachers, ask them for help, and even making new relationships in the future. The research shows that making the switch is tough for these kids. I mean, if you think about it, I feel like we already harp on this generation for being so invested in their phones all the time and now we're taking out some of the only for some kids real face-to-face interaction that they had every day yeah and so now these kids are going to be kind of on their own little islands which is a bummer because i mean we got into the field because we we like students we like building these relationships i actually got into the field for the money and the fame oh that's right that's right excuse me i'm sorry i didn't mean to speak for you and your experience right so what do you think are some strategies that we can use to help build those relationships if we're teaching remotely you know one thing that i love to do with my PBL classes is we do weekly advising sessions, which we already do in person, where you know we take shifts as teachers and we meet with small groups or individuals of kids once a week or once every other week just to talk about how the work is going, how the workflow is going. I think, like in my building, there are 80 different adults in my building, 1,200 students. If every teacher, every adult reaches 15 kids, everyone in that building has someone in their corner and trying to recreate that digitally is a huge, huge asset. 
That would be very interesting. And that brings me to what I was thinking about, which is to show your face to your kids. Oh, yep. I mean, I know that it seems really daunting and like, I hate the way I look at my webcam, but (laughs) I want to be more than just some words on a screen for them. So this past spring when we were online, I held weekly office hours Mm -hmm. where they were not required to come, but I was just online from... 12 to 2 every day or some days it varied and Mm -hmm. they could just pop in and ask questions but a lot of times the kids would just pop in and be like hey yeah and they just happened to me right they just need to have some kind of connection outside of their house or outside of their bedroom or wherever they're hovered over their phone right you know and you know another thing about showing your face it doesn't only build that connection you have with the students but it also kind of helps students perceive themselves as more capable. Like if you are on the screen doing the learning, if you are solving the geometric proof or you are annotating an essay, showing them how academic skills look, they can Mm -hmm. identify with, with what you're asking them to do instead of just emailing out, write this or solve this proof, show yourself doing it. Yeah. And I think that that's also another way to like integrate personability and like you can make jokes yeah i know i make funny facial expressions while i teach so i would really (laughs) hate to rob my students of that you know you really have crafted a large repertoire of really good reaction faces i have i'd say you're a walk-in gif at this point i agree i mean i think that someone should have a camera on me at all times just so they can get my face i'll get on that after this episode another set of people that i do not want to rob from seeing my lovely facial expressions is my coworkers. because mm-hmm. I think that another part moving a little bit away from students, but thinking about teachers, I know that I would possibly perish if not for my coworkers. <laughs> and so I think that it's important that even though I think that we're all going to get a little sick of virtual meetings, I think that we need to keep up those collegial relationships mm-hmm. by like having zoom meetings or just having check-ins. Yeah. And even if it's, it could be just a check-in with a grade level teachers. If you have a concern about a kid and you know that they're taking four classes at the ninth grade level and you're teaching ninth grade, you can touch base with them and find right. out what's working for the kids, you know, work smarter, not harder. And you can provide more for the kids. Or even just saying like, Hey, I haven't heard from Johnny mm-hmm. this week. Has anyone heard anyone know what's going yeah. on? Yeah. And it, you know, to be fair, when we look at all of these different options and how, you know, teaching is so much different when it's from a distance and starting the year remotely, Mm -hmm. no one's going to be on their A game. And we can be transparent with these kids and just tell them that we're all learning as we're going along. And maybe that humility is good for us. I think it definitely is. I think that we need to break down the wall of teachers are perfect and we never make mistakes. Right. And so, you know, one of the things I'm planning on doing in all of my classes for the fall is that first semester, my point values and my assignments in September are going to be a lot smaller than November, Mm -hmm. December. Let's take some time to get into some flow, get into some rhythm, and then really make the stuff count because, you know, it's the first time that kids may be doing this. Yes. I mean, I think that that's kind of the way that the semester naturally ebbs and flows anyway. So I think it'll be nice to start I need to take that back. It will not be nice to start the year out distance learning, but I think that it'll be a little easier to start the year than to finish the year. Yeah. I think that would be, that'll be nice that you can kind of set the tone. 
I also think that since we're going to be having so many digital conversations, like through the keyboard or through the webcam, I think it might be a good idea, too, to keep a little log of stuff that you casually talk about with your kids. Oh, yeah. Because I know that it's really easy for me to, like, see someone's face and remember, oh, yeah, I talked to this kid about this basketball game last week. But it might be a little harder when you're exchanging countless IMs with countless students every day. (laughs) Yeah, and it's tough to keep track, especially as you're trying to learn your kids without being able to associate who they are within a name their face and so mm-hmm. you know give yourself some grace and log some stuff yeah you know and, and speaking of giving yourself some grace it, you know it's going to be tough for us to barrel through every single one of our teaching standards and I think we'll get more bang for our buck if we really try to front load relationships in week mm-hmm. one week two of the school year because if the students don't feel like you're in their corner or haven't established that connection it's not going to be useful or a good use of their time to go through all 63 standards and instead right. build a great relationship and nail 50 of your learning targets. Yep. Actually, a Columbus State University study showed that teacher-student relationships had an exponential impact on engagement. Did you hear that math term oh, I just used? Oh, look at you mathing. Because there's, with the relationships, there's the incentive to work and they get help with their basic psychological needs. Yeah, that's a huge investment. And so, you know, I'm really looking forward to seeing how relationships will form this fall. This is obviously not the dream way to do it. No, not But at all. I'm, I'm, I'm interested in trying some new stuff. I agree. And so, while our producer Eric is having a margarita in a pint glass, today Sean and I are having a nice dry rosé, which is described as fruity, floral, and delicate. Yeah, and I'm uh, I'm only one of those things. <laughs> <laughs> right. Okay, so Ashley, you and your district, you use the Danielson model, right? We do. We love some Chuck D. Mm-hmm. So, let's talk a little bit about that fourth domain, you know, responsibilities. Yeah, you know, I find that it's really important to reflect on my teaching, and after a glass or four of a nice rosé, I really feel like I'm better able to do that. Yeah, I'd say in about 40 minutes from now, we're going to be really, 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 really reflective. And so insightful. I know. (laughs) It's almost like we have our own little uh, side PLC going on over here. You know, we're just doing a whole lot of academic learning about some uh, wine. And I mean, even when I'm with my regular PLC, I always think to myself, wow, this would be so much better if we were drinking. (laughs) And you know, the other thing when we're talking about evaluation, keeping accurate records. So we should probably do that sooner rather than later, because by the time we're at the bottom of this bottle, we won't be able to do that. Oh, yeah. I don't think we're going to be able to stop at one bottle either. No. So it's just going to keep going. What do you think of a final evaluation? Is this highly effective? Oh, yeah. Highly effective for sure in all four domains. Oh, excellent. For Hot Topics this week, we are just at the beginning of July, and Pride Month is just wrapped up, so we thought we'd talk a little bit about our LGBTQ students in this week's Hot Topic. Yes, that is a very important topic. Um, I know, so I am a white, straight, cisgender female, and so I feel like I always have room to grow with including and learning about LGBTQ experiences in my classroom. Yeah, and it's it's important, even if you are within the LGBTQ community, you know, I'm also a white, cisgender, but gay teacher, and it's, it's really important to understand how intersectional and how diverse the experiences of all of these students are, and it's changed so much since you and I graduated. 
graduated just uh, oh, 13 years ago at this point. I can't believe you said that number out loud. Sorry, I take it back. Um, right. And so I have been teaching. I just wrapped up my eighth year and I have seen like the, I feel like the gamut of inclusivity. Mm. Um, I started out my teaching career in South Carolina and it was a really big thing back in 2013 because we had a transgender student Mm -hmm. and he didn't feel comfortable using the girl's bathroom. Right. And so he was given access to the staff bathroom, Mm -hmm. like given a key and was allowed to use it. And the rest of the staff went absolutely ballistic. Really? And I was just sitting there like, why does it matter? There's single stall bathrooms. Like there's, you're not going to be peeing next to this kid. I don't know why it's such a big deal. Right. And I think that especially no, uh, no offense if you live in the South, but typically those people are not as, um, understanding and so that was a real big wide open experience for me yeah and not even to you know we can drag the south a little bit though i mean my family's from alabama and your family's southern too we know it but you know schools vary wildly from building to building different cultures of inclusivity and Mm -hmm. it's kind of on us as teachers to kind of move the needle towards more inclusiveness one thing you can Mm -hmm. do as well right now as you're listening, we have a little bit of an inventory, kind of a checklist of some principles that come out of the Department of Ed in Massachusetts to kind of help evaluate how inclusive your school is and how how much of an effort the school is making to center those voices and bring in those LGBTQ students. Oh, that sounds really interesting. Yeah, so here's a six-point checklist. So um, first, does your school explicitly include gender and sexuality in their bullying policies? Does your school provide staff with learning or training in LGBTQ students greater risk for violence or suicide? Does your school explicitly offer extracurriculars geared toward LGBTQ students or like a club that's informally just known to be an inclusive safe space? Do counselors have what they need to help families support their LGBTQ students? Yeah, and and also does your staff have a point person that's kind of knowledgeable about these experiences? And last, but certainly most definitely not least, does your library, whether classroom or overall school library, have inclusive materials? And do your teachers and your students know that they're there? That one's really huge. There are a lot of these kids that use literature for self-discovery. I mean, Mm -hmm. you as an English teacher, you know how much that one book or one piece of writing can can be so transformative. Right, it can help students, students realize that they're not alone. Like, oh my gosh, someone else has these feelings. Someone else experiences this. Yeah, so here are five quick strategies that we, well, not necessarily quick, but five very intentional strategies that you can consider implementing in your school, you know, even if we're teaching from a distance or we're teaching in person, that we can use to increase inclusion for LGBTQ students. It's not just enough to, you know, maybe have a staff that just informally is really inclusive but there's some intentional and very um, overt things that we can do to to ensure that all students, maybe new even to the building, mm-hmm. feel included. So the first approach that we want to talk about, I actually implemented starting last year, and it's allow students to identify themselves by their own pronouns. Mm-hmm. Um, you never know how much students have experienced over the summer, whether they've had a big revelation, whether they're finally comfortable to share what pronouns they would like to be known by. Um, And so they might be ready to finally make the change based on their identity. So it's important to give them the space in your classroom to do that. Yeah, and one thing that I learned, um, I I had a trans student um, who just graduated who 
was wonderfully, wonderfully informative and, and forthwith with, with me. And one of the things we talked about once is while he was starting to transition, he found that a lot of teachers, when they would do roll call on the first day of school, mm-hmm. would go through and ask everybody's, or ask who's here, just read the name off of the list. And if a student didn't identify with that name or no longer identified with that name, mm-hmm. then it's kind of awkward because if the, you know, it, it could be one thing where I'm up at the front of the room going, Nathan Smith, and then Nathan, you know, responds. He says, oh, I go by Nate, which mm-hmm. is kind of like a more predictable one. But what about a student who uses a completely different name now? Mm-hmm. they've now been put into a spot where they have to come out to you on the first day and then... And they have to come out to the whole class. Exactly. So if you provide a, stu- a way for students to identify themselves as your first activity or kickoff activity, like a Google form or an mm-hmm. info form where they can provide the name they wish you to, they want you to prefer, yeah. that'll catch all the Nathans and Nates, but it will also catch our trans students and students who identify differently. Right. I find that just putting on that Google form or that first day of class survey, what is, what is the name that I will see in my grade book? Mm-hmm. What do you want me to call you? Yeah, perfect. Yes. So the next one we kind of want to look at on top of gathering info on our students, you know, from day one, but something we can do throughout the year is we can collect some survey data. You can use mm-hmm. some student groups, uh, you know, st- student government or student council Mm -hmm. or even staff gather some insight and survey data from students that you have yeah i think that an anonymous survey would be super powerful and allow students to share some experiences they've had like Mm -hmm. maybe not calling out like oh my gosh mr jordan my social studies teacher said this one day but Mm -hmm. just like allowing them to share some things that have happened whether good or negative in the building mm-hmm. might open everyone's eyes a little bit. Yeah, I found that you know when my staff started to have some of these conversations a couple of years ago, there were people that just were not aware mm-hmm. of of the whole school culture for LGBTQ inclusion. I think part of that, you know, it's it's not anyone's fault. It's just we all kind of have different different niches of kids that we yeah. we vibe with. And speaking of, uh, you know, including some voices, you had mentioned before, Ashley, to talk about, you know, the how the library is inclusive of LGBTQ voices as mm-hmm. well as our curriculum. You know, when we make intentional decisions, like a music teacher that is uh, looking to include more works by LGBTQ composers, or a social studies teacher who is bringing into the American Civil Rights Unit mm-hmm. a conversation about intersectionality and, right. and the different roles of, of gender and sexuality identities that existed during the American Civil Rights Movement. I think that even just opening the curriculum to include some of that, because I don't know about you, but I don't remember learning anything about like the Stonewall riots or anything Mm-mm. in high school. No, and we had some wonderful teachers, but you know, there it, it takes some intention and it takes a, a re-envisioning of what you do. It does. And I already mentioned in the survey the checklist at the beginning about diverse if your library has diverse literature available oh yeah um but i also think that it's important to have and i'm speaking directly to you english teachers have some different voices in your classroom Mm. um so some books that i've read recently and really like are i'll give you the sun by jandy nelson that features a young adult male who's kind of wrestling with his sexuality felix ever after by case and calendar which is about a trans male who's also recognizing, Mm -hmm. wrestling, (laughs) recognizing and wrestling um, with his identity, a little fantasy 
poke okay. here. All right. Um, All right. I'm here for, for that. The House in the Cerulean Sea by TJ Clune. And then Love Creekwood just came out on Hulu. And so any of those Ooh. books by Becky Albertalli in the Creekwood universe are okay. really good. Alrighty, I'm here for a Hulu too. Yes. Yeah, and I think um, you know, the more we're aware of what's going on in our libraries and our media centers, we're right now faced with losing some of the media specialists in my district. And mm-hmm. so the onus is on us to be able to take advantage of those wonderful resources. Right. And maybe even not include like if you don't have the resources to include the books in your personal library, just knowing about them and saying like, hey, I think you might be interested in this book would go a long way with kids. Oh, yeah. I love a book recommendation. That can be super transformative. Yes. I think it's also super important that we advocate for our kids and their identities. Mm -hmm. Um, So I know, I feel like both of us are the kind of teachers. We build relationships easily with kids, and we kind of become those go-to people for some of them. So I think it's important that if they come to us and talk privately about their gender or sexuality, that we ask them who we can talk about it with. Oh, that's a big one. It's important to ask if it's okay to loop in a counselor counselor as an additional support voice might be nice. Right. And I think it's important to acknowledge that sometimes parents aren't the most accepting. Right. You know, the the culture is changing a lot, but families and parents will definitely respond in different and unique ways Mm -hmm. as their students identify, you know, with different uh, genders and sexualities. And so, um, you know, giving that grace and talking with the student, ask them how they feel about, um, you know, their conversations about Uh, their identities with their families Mm -hmm. and you know at the same time talking to the other adults in the building and making sure that there are other possible advocates beyond you as a teacher that the student can go to right it's also important for us to remember that students who are struggling or questioning their gender identity or sexuality have an added layer of stress and anxiety on top of trying to learn right and we know from you know just day-to-day teaching that any additional factor into the mix that can make the day more difficult can really weigh heavily on some of our kids. Right. And yeah. if you're interested in learning more about this, there are so many researches resources on the Glisten website. Yeah, Glisten actually um, they send out free toolkits and oh. like they'll send you like boxes of goodies for your classroom. It can even be as simple as having a sticker or a flag outside your classroom mm-hmm. door, anywhere where there's, these students can feel like they can have a voice and they can be safe. We'll go a mile. It will. Now moving, we're on the resources. Yes, moving on to the resource, we are going to circle back a little bit to distance learning, and we want to talk about um, apps and technology that'll help you with grading, collect data, and just on some of those like weekly informal assignments, just to check where students are. Yeah, so we have a bunch of different tools here that we want to share with you. Uh, you know, we recommend take a couple of minutes, play around with each of these. You may fall in love with some quickly. You may find that it's not your thing, mm-hmm. but I could guarantee there's going to be at least one thing on this list that's going to help you with your assessment and help you provide really engaging content and do the best we can while we're teaching from a distance. Yes. So my first resource is Edpuzzle, which is where you can plug in a YouTube video. And then as the video plays, you can have it stop and ask the kids a question. It can be a multiple choice question, a short answer question. Mm -hmm. Um, And then they just watch the video answer. So it's not like you 
like have to like have a separate Google Doc right. and window open, um, and it plugs directly into Google Classroom, which is really nice. And that's huge. This was my first year with Google Classroom, and because I was a Schoology person before, mm-hmm. and I really actually enjoyed the ease of Edpuzzle. Um, another one that actually plugs into Google Classroom that I learned about from one of my um, co-teachers is Nearpod, and Nearpod has tons and tons of pre-made lessons and activities that are available, as well as you know you can make your own stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, Nearpod is really an easy tool to just open up the box and just use it in a Zoom call or in the classroom. They have some live assessments that your students can take uh, you know, in class or on their own time. It pumps out data right away. Um, the open-ended question prompts are my favorite because it keeps your writing all together. I know I struggled this year as my first time with Google Classroom having mm-hmm. like 80 different docs going on oh, yeah. and having to find different. So I like in Nearpod, all of the writing is collected. There's a paid version that's even snazzier. If you can swing it, it's worth it. But the free version is still really awesome. Ooh, I know that one way that I find out about a lot of my um, tech tools is mm-hmm. a podcast called the Google Teacher Podcast. Oh, yep. Um, yep. And they, it's two phenomenal educators and they just go off of the all of the G Suite products, and they give us some really interesting, innovative ideas on how to use Google-specific tools. Yeah, and um, you know, going a little bit off of the grid here of, of Google tool, tools is Mindly, and Mindly is a concept mapping and webbing mm-hmm. uh, platform. It's it, it really only works on Android or iOS. So if students have phones or they have an iPad or some other device like that, Mm -hmm. Mindly is a super, super easy way to make really attractive looking concept maps. It takes students maybe like a minute to figure out. It is very much a plug and play tool. They can drop images off of their camera roll into it. They can use different shapes and color schemes. It's right out of the box, super easy way um, to, you know, allow kids to create some good concept maps. Another perk is it'll export the concept map as a PDF or a picture, or you can get it to convert the concept map to an outline. You know, that sounds like it might be a good teaching tool, too, because I know I think an outline format, mm-hmm. but some of my students don't. So if I was able yeah. to provide them with an outline and a concept map, that would be really helpful. Oh, yeah. Um, also, kind of jumping back a little bit to videos and just lesson delivery, Screencastify is a Google Chrome extension that saved my actual life <laughs> this past Same. spring. Um, you can record your screen with or without your webcam image in the corner. You can also just record your face if you feel you need to do that. It syncs directly to your Google Drive, mm-hmm. um, and it provides some like bare bones editing. So if you need to just chop off a little chunk because you talked a little too long, that never happens to me. <laughs> me um, you can do that. They have a free version where you can record for only five minutes, which I think is probably good enough because yeah. we want to get to give students information in small chunks. Um, ooh, that was my watch hitting the table. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but there is a free version for $49 a year, which I really think that I might go ahead and spring for if we're uh-huh. digital in the fall. Yeah, I did that. I used some of my department funds for that because I had a little bit of coin left over in my social studies department funds mm-hmm. and I cannot go back. Like I have to use that forever now. Yeah, um, I agree. An- another one that I'm going to try this year that's been highly recommended to me, I've been playing around with it already a little bit. Um, not an expert yet, but it's Socrative. And oh. Socrative has like four different modes of different prompts you can give kids to drop maybe an exit 
ticket or mm-hmm. a quick progress check that they can use from their devices. And oh. so, you know, in my Zoom classes in this fall, if we're teaching online, I plan to, ha- you know, pull up Socrative on the screen, give the kids an opportunity to go grab, you know, their phone or whatever mm-hmm. other device, um, or, the, you know, it works fine in browser too, and be able to give me a little bit of formative data. A lot of teachers at, um, in our history department, actually, at my school use that as entrance tickets. Like Whoa, okay. they sit down and they know that they have to pull out a phone or a Chromebook and do the Socrative before class starts. Yeah, entrance tickets, I actually, sometimes are a little scary for me because like exit ticket, ticket, I find myself, it's the easy way out. Or mm-hmm. I'm just like, okay, do this. Bye, guys. <laughs> Write this on a post-it note. <laughs> <laughs> right, stick it on the wall. I'll look yeah. at it later. But the entrance ticket is a really, really sometimes tough thing to incorporate in your teaching because mm-hmm. it tells you you need to change the lesson on the spot. Yes. Um, and then just a little plug, if you have not listened to episode three yet, we talk in our resource sections about some like digital um, text creation tools oh, yeah. like Canva, VisMe. Yeah. yeah. Um, those would be a really good addition to any distance learning program. Actually, Canva right now is somehow doing presentations. Uh, yeah. So um, I'm interested in using that. Yeah. I kind of want to shake it up. I'm getting a little bored, bored yeah. of Google Slides. I like to be known as the teacher with the good PowerPoints. So. Oh, yeah. See, mine are pretty lame, but you know, maybe it's a social studies teacher stereotype. Yeah. So anyway, as always, when you have success with an app, share it out with your staff. If you find that something works for you, someone else might already have some experience with it. And if kids get comfortable with the platform, they'll feel comfortable with it every time they see it. Right. Or if you have a really good idea and you want to drop us an email at teachandwhineaboutit at gmail.com, maybe coming up soon we'll do a listener ideas section. Oh, we're moving on up. We are. Alrighty. Thanks so much for joining us this week. Next week, we're going to talk about keeping up the rigor for advanced students in AP classes when we're teaching remotely. And on top of that, we're going to share out some ideas of how to keep assessments interesting, impactful, and useful in the distance learning world. In the meantime, enjoy a glass or two of a good wine because you can't teach unless you can whine about it. Thank you.